The Lord be with you. And with your A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, who sends you forgive are forgiven them, and who sends you retain are retained. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Peace be with you, are the words are spoken to the disciples. And our blessed Lord spoke them not once but twice. I think he did so probably because the disciples were so excited the first time they saw him, they didn't really hear what he said. Right? Peace be with you. And, the, and all they saw was Jesus, the same man that had been crucified. And he proves it with the showing of his wounds. He shows them wounds in his hand, the wounds in his side. They rejoice. And then the Lord says again, peace be with you. Our blessed Lord breathes the Holy Spirit upon them as the instrument of this peace. It is only in the Holy Spirit that one can have true peace. Christ came and bade the disciples peace in a time of unrest. In our world today, there is also much unrest. Every day when I was a child, and I think each of you as well, and still at various civic events and other meetings, would stand and pray the pledge. Pray. Say. It always felt like a prayer. I always want to add amen at the end of it, personally. But for the Pledge of Allegiance, to conclude with one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all, if you've seen anything on TV in the past week or two or decade, really, those words seem more like a nice aspiration than an actual description of our nation. One nation under God, indivisible? It doesn't exactly seem so. Division is everywhere. Certainly anyone watching the news, certainly you've heard of Mr. George Floyd, who was killed, sparking yet another, uh, another response uh, of recognition and another unveiling, a pulling back of the veil of what is there, oftentimes quietly hidden, the racism that's still present in our country, racial tension that is still very much present um, throughout our land, not just in Minneapolis, Minnesota, but as it continues to pop up in other places all over. We recognize that there is great division. And it's not just over the situation in Minneapolis. It's not just over racism specifically. It's over just about everything we can imagine, really, when it comes down to it. Politics, there's more venom, I think, spit in politics than all the snakes in the world could ever hope to muster. Democrats and Republicans, it doesn't matter. Both sides become very hard at heart. 
We have new things that we can be divided upon. Masks or no masks. Open up or stay closed. Even in the church, we have liberals and traditionalists fighting against each other. But it doesn't have to just be large-scale things. It can be where you go to school, where you go to church, any number of things where we, div- we seek to divide ourselves. The evil one very quickly comes. That's the reality from the beginning. The evil one, the ancient serpent, comes and he whispers in the Eve, in Eve's ear. And there begins to be a separation of Eve from God. Eve from Adam. Eve even from her own self. And the same thing continues to happen in our day. The evil one comes to whisper in so many ears. And division takes place. Sometimes we can be shocked at it. But really we ought not to be. It's always been the case that there has been division. But it seems especially concerning in our day. Where it's not just the world. Where it's not just the world against the church. It's everyone. Ultimately against everyone it seems. It can be a source of great discouragement. I was reflecting on these things. And and all of this is taking place. And the readings that we had this weekend. And I was reminded of the story. I think it was from the, the early 20th century uh, in England, if I recall correctly, that they were gathering uh, a series of writings from, from different intellectuals of the day. And they wanted a response to one question, what's wrong with the world? And the people would kind of write their, their synthesis of, here's what I think is really the problem. Here's, here's what, it, when we get down to the foundation of things, here I think is the issue. And one wise individual, rather than prophesy or, or rather than kind of pontificating about the, the reality of the political division or the, or the social division or religious division or any other kind of division, he said, what's wrong with the world? I am. Period. I am. And each one of us can say the same. Because the simple reality is that None of us can control everything around us. But what we can control is ourselves, our hearts, our minds, the things entrusted to us by the Lord. Mother Teresa was one who went out, you know, she was the foundress of the Missionaries of Charity. Those wonderful sisters with the the white saris and the, the little blue stripes so easily identifiable to us. In our American culture, founded a large number of communities all throughout the world where their sisters, the missionary charity sisters, would go and seek to serve the poorest of the poor. And Mother Teresa, during her life, would go and visit each of those communities to make sure that things were well, to make sure the sisters were, were living the spirit of the community, to make sure the poor were really being served. To make sure the place where they be, where the place where they were serving was the place they really needed to be. That there wasn't a place that was even worse that they might be able to go to. And so she would go visit every single house. Every single place where her sisters were. And she came to one in a particular city. And she arrived and the streets in front of the convent were a mess. 
It was just a normal city block. There was a bit of graffiti. There was some trash on the sidewalk. The gutters were all funky. It was not a nice sight. And admittedly, the sister go to the place where the poorest of the poor are, where things are not necessarily good. So it's to be expected that things will be a little rough from time to time. But Mother Teresa, looking at the situation, went inside the house, grabbed a broom, and walked out and started sweeping the sidewalk. She cleaned up her little spot in front of the convent, started cleaning up the gutter, getting the, getting the junk away, trying to clean up just the little part that was entrusted to the sisters. And the most wonderful of things happened. The neighbors went and got their brooms too. And soon the city block, although a small portion of a much larger thing, was made a place of some kind of cleanliness and peace. Orderliness was restored. Simply because Mother Teresa said, I can't, clean, I can't clean up everything, but I can clean this. I can clean this. This little spot entrusted to us, I'll take care of this. And this is what Christ Jesus calls for us to do as well. Because we can look at the radio, we can look at TV, we can look at the internet, we can look at all this stuff and go, what can I really do? I mean, and I've heard many, many people responding, well, what do you want me to do? I'm not in Minneapolis. What do you want me to do? I'm not here. I'm not there. I'm not all these kind of things. What, what do we do? The response is simply live the gospel here in your life. Whatever your sidewalk is in this community, in your home, in your work, tend to that. To take care of our own place. This is what Christ is inviting us to. To be able to tend to our own hearts, really, when it comes down to it. Because that's the, oftentimes the sidewalk that is most messy. To tend to our own hearts. And to simply be who we as Christians, as Catholics, are called to be in the world. To be salt, to be light, to be leaven. To be the stuff that changes everyone around us. We may not be able to be nationally recognized. But if we simply live our vocation as Christians, it changes the world around us. It changes us. And this is why we need the Holy Spirit. Because this is not something that we can do of ourselves. Of my own strength, I can't do anything. As the prayer to the Holy Spirit, the Veni Sancti Spiritus, the sequence was prayed, it was a reminder that without you, we have nothing, Lord. Without you, I can do nothing. But with him, all things are possible. And this is the good news of the gospel, is that in the midst of a world that is divided, Christ comes with the remedy. It's the same as we saw 2,000 years ago, as we read just a moment ago from the Acts of the Apostles as well as the gospel. The disciples gather together first in fear. They're afraid of what may happen to them. They're concerned about what might take place, what sufferings might come to them as well. They saw what they did to Jesus, and they are friends of Jesus. They might be next. And so fear keeps them isolated. Fear keeps them closed off from the world. But the Lord comes 
And in one moment, he comes, he wishes them peace, he bids peace be upon them, breathes the Holy Spirit upon them. And the next thing we see is a group of men who are out in the middle of the, in the, middle of the, in the, middle of the city, proclaiming God's goodness, proclaiming the saving work of Jesus Christ, who died for us on the cross, and the whole world is listening. That's what the Acts of the Apostles is essentially saying. That people are, everyone is gathered, the, right, the, the, the Elamites, the Phrygians, the, those from Pontius and, and Cappadocia and all these other places that they name. All this is basically to say everybody from everywhere, no matter what, they were all there. St. Luke was just being very specific. But he basically was saying everybody all around the world is represented here. And they are receiving the gospel. And they're being brought into unity. Different though they are, they're being brought into unity by one thing, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is power. Incredible power. The Holy Spirit is the thing that divided the, or that, that united the disciples themselves who oftentimes were divided. Over and again we see in the gospel how they're jockeying against one another for positions of power and how there was no shortage of difficulties in the community just of the twelve. The differences they had between them and yet Christ was able to restore them and to keep them in unity by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no shortage of divisions in our world today. We can be different. That's fine and good. Not everybody has to cheer for the LSU Tigers. I think it might be the best for you, but... Right? But we can cheer for different teams if you want to. You, you can be a Republican and not hate Democrats or vice versa. Right? There's a reality that it's okay to have differences in our world. But our differences must be gathered together by one common thing. The reality of the Holy Spirit. Because it's he that holds us together. It's he who continues to unite us where the evil one would seek to divide. It's the Holy Spirit who is able to enlighten us. That's what we prayed in the prayer as well in the sequence. Shed a ray of light divine. Lord, help us to see. And one of the things that we need to be able to see, and we need to especially to be able to help others to see, is the gift of every person in front of us. Every single one. Because so often these divisions that can happen within our hearts, whether for race, whether for political reasons, whether for societal, whether for school, whether for religion, whether for whatever under the sun, it's easy for us to allow ourselves to be separated and other be other. Not, not a person, not an individual with a name and a birthplace and a birth date and a favorite food and a favorite music and all these other kind of things. If we just dehumanize, it's easy to separate the other and not care about them. It's what we saw in slavery. It's what we saw in the Holocaust. So we continue to see in abortion. If it's not human, we don't have to feel bad about it. Right? If it's not fully like us, it's okay to be harsh and hard of heart. And so our place as Christians, as, as Catholics, is to recognize every person in front of us as a person, to recognize their uniqueness, their individuality, that every person before us is created in the image and likeness of God, just like us, is loved by God, just like us, is redeemed by God on the cross, just like us. To see that first for ourselves, 
but also to help others to see the same. Because it's easy for us. It's easy in our, in our wounded nature to simply allow the other to be other rather than an individual person. It makes it easy because then we don't have to be Christian. We don't have to be merciful. <laughs> we don't have to be kind. We don't have to do any of those things because it's not a person. Not an individual. It's not someone else who indeed might be a brother or sister in Christ. This is the thing that always that always strikes me. Is I you know to, to see people who are absolutely venomous towards other people who are public figures, and to know that, hey y'all, <laughs> that person's Catholic too. They may not be a, they may not be living it fully, but they are a brother or sister in Christ, just like me. They're a brother or sister in Christ. And how, how hard hearts can become. So this is why we need the Holy Spirit. To transform us just like he transformed the disciples. To transform us into a people that are able to go out and to transform the world. Not because we're that awesome, but because he is. Simply to recognize that the Holy Spirit is able to transform us in dramatic ways. And do profound things. Even though quietly. The same men who were gathered in fear in the upper room were filled with the Holy Spirit and then went out to proclaim the Lord Jesus before the entirety of nations. And when they were beaten, when they were mocked, when they were cast out of cities, when they endured all these serious sufferings, they rejoiced because they were able to suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. And they're only able to do it because the Holy Spirit was with them. And the Holy Spirit is with us. And so we make our own the words of the prayer, the sequence. And I would encourage you to go home and to pray with it. Um, it's pretty easily accessible. Or if you've, got, if you've got one of the Word Among Us books, or you can just type in Pentecost sequence on the internet and you'll easily find it. But it's a wonderful prayer to allow the Holy Spirit, who is already in our hearts, to be stirred up even more. To be able to heal our wounds, it says. To strengthen us and renew us. To pour his dew into the dryness of our hearts. To wash the stain of guilt away from us. To bend our stubborn heart and will which often seeks self. To melt the frozen and to warm the chill of our hearts. Ultimately to ensure that we are guided back to Christ when we go astray. This is the goodness of the gospel. And is ours to be able to bring to the world. Our world longs for peace. We need peace. It's written into our hearts to desire peace. And we have it. Or at least it's ours for the taking. If we allow the Holy Spirit to be in our hearts, we can bring the peace that the world doesn't know and give it to them. To allow the Holy Spirit to be in our hearts is ultimately to be able to go to each individual in the world before us and to say the same words of Jesus. Peace be with you. And to know that the Holy Spirit will come to us. He will strengthen us. He will transform us. And he will help us to go forth to shed the good news of the glory of Jesus Christ and the world that awaits us.